Well, I, I, I would agree with Floyd, um, Floyd Abrams, certainly. I think he's a very serious threat uh, on a number of fronts, not the least of which is uh, just his ability to uh, shut off information to the press, which is information we need for you know citizens to be able to vote for our democracy to function. He, he, he can have a great impact in terms of the flow of information to people. I have to say when we start talking about news that is called false news or alternative facts or fake news, um, the, the consequences for that, if you stop and think about it, for libel actions are really very profound. We have a president that's just accused the former president of criminal activity in ordering his phones tapped without apparently a shred of evidence. And you know, what, what does that mean in terms of uh, exposure for defamation from a guy who says that he really wants to loosen the reins on libel actions and who himself apparently has a history of using libel lawsuits to chill the actions and speech of others? Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites. I also host another Legal Talk Network program called Law Technology Now along with Monica Bay. And I'm Craig Williams coming to you from finally sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. Did the rain finally stop there in California, Craig? Temporarily. Yeah, well, you should come to Massachusetts. It's sunny. Well, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Clio and Litera. Clio is the world's leading cloud-based legal practice management software. Thousands of lawyers and legal professionals trust Clio to help grow and simplify their practices. You can learn more about Clio at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. And Litera is the authority on document creation, collaboration, and control. Increase your productivity, collaborate securely, and ensure protection of your vital information. Learn more at www.litera.com, L-I-T-E-R-A.com. Well, Bob, in recent months, President Trump has been very vocal about his disdain for the press and labeling certain news outlets fake news. In retaliation for contentious press relations, the White House has blocked a number of news organizations recently, including CNN, The New York Times, Politico, and The LA Times, from attending off-camera press briefing with the press secretary, Sean Spicer, back in February 24th. Well, and he's also threatened to uh, toughen libel laws and clamp down on reporting in other ways. So the, the question really remains, how far will President Trump go in trying to curtail press participation. How far really can he go? Uh, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at President Trump, the news media, and the First Amendment with a couple of guests who are experts in this area. First of all, let me introduce David A. Schultz. David is senior research scholar in law and Floyd Abrams clinical lecturer in law at Yale Law School co-director of the Media Freedom and Information Access Clinic there. He's also a partner in the law firm Levine, Sullivan, Cock, and Schultz, a national 
trial and appellate practice representing news and entertainment media in defamation, privacy, news gathering, access, intellectual property, and related First Amendment matters. He specializes in media law, First Amendment, and intellectual property. He's represented a broad range of media clients, including international newswire services, national and local newspapers, television networks and station owners, magazine and book publishers, cable news networks, and internet content providers. David Schultz, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer. Great. Thank you. Hi, Bob. Hi, Craig. Well, Bob, our next guest attorney is Howard Cooper, a founding partner of Todd & Weld LLP. Mr. Cooper's experience includes over three decades of extensive trial practice in state and federal courts before administrative agencies and licensing boards in an arbitration in the areas of complex civil disputes and criminal defense. Howard regularly handles significant civil rights and First Amendment matters, which are often of public significance, and hopefully we'll discuss some on the show. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Howard Cooper. Nice to be with you. I suppose I should say in the interest of full disclosure here that in my own day job, I represent uh, the news media as the uh, executive director and a lobbyist for the newspaper industry here in Massachusetts. So uh, I certainly have a dog in this game, I guess, to some extent. But uh, uh, well, I, I, and Bob, and in the interest of full disclosure, on the other side, I've also sued newspaper companies. So okay, there we are. There we go. There we go. Well, I, just just before uh, President Trump took office, uh, Floyd Abrams, a First Amendment lawyer, in a in a speech, said that then President Elect Trump may be the greatest threat to the First Amendment since the passage of the Sedition Act of 1798. Just before he took office, the Committee to Protect Journalists took a somewhat unprecedented step of passing a a resolution declaring him an unprecedented threat to the rights of journalists. David, before we get into some of the specifics, just on on a broad basis, what's your perspective on the extent to which President Trump is a threat to news reporting as we now know it in the United States? Well, I would agree with Floyd, um, Floyd Abrams, certainly. I think he's a very serious threat uh, on a number of fronts, not the least of which is uh, just his ability to uh, shut off information to the press, which is information we need for you know citizens to be able to vote for our democracy to function. He can have a great impact in terms of the flow of information to people. But you know, on another front, it's not exactly a legal front, but I think is also disturbing and problematic and potentially of great impact is just the way that he is systematically going about trying to destabilize the press, trying to delegitimize it, um, attacking the press as fake. Um, I think that has a huge impact because there are, you know, many, many people who follow him. Uh, You know, he says something like three million people cast illegal votes and immediately, you know, 25 to 30 percent of the people believe that, even if it's totally baseless. So I think, you know, that there are great concerns that we should all have as citizens in terms of how our, how our country is going to function and just uh, how democracy works when you have someone in office who both has the capacity to, to limit the flow of information and to uh, uh, threaten the, the credibility and the reliability of the press. What about the fringe that's out there putting fake news out? I mean, there's, there's been some discussion about Pizzagate and some of the other uh, social media uh, scams that go around. And I'm not saying that that's one, but I, I don't know what, what it actually falls into. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's certainly, if you, if you want to talk about fake news, I mean, there certainly is, I think, something that could be called fake news. I think you have to be very careful about what, what the definition of it is. But 
certainly people who intentionally put out misinformation, false information, knowing that it's false, with an intent to deceive people and particularly an intent to affect uh, their view of, of their government, uh, I think is a real problem. You know, there's always been kind of a fringe fringe press out there. There's been people who on the political fringe, you know, John Birch Society and others who, who've had their own methods of communication, but they've never before been able to reach a mass audience in the way that the Internet and social media allow today. And there's always been kind of, you know, crazy news, the National Enquirer and and papers that you see uh, on, on grocery lines when you're leaving, you know, people kind of understood that you had to take things there with a grain of salt. So another thing that's happened with the Internet is you've eliminated that ability to differentiate between what might be reliable uh, and what you need to be suspect of. So that a lot of information now is floating around that um, comes from fringe areas and that people don't really know how to evaluate and judge, and that's created huge problems. I actually, just to pick up on what what David says, I think it goes beyond the dangers presented by sources on the Internet or otherwise of fake news, fringe groups, etc. I actually think that what has come from our now president um, has given license to some of these fringe groups and individuals to say things publicly, whether via the Internet or in person or by telephone, that are extreme. And in certain instances, uh, can actually go beyond permissible speech into hate speech or incitement of others. Um, I've just finished a matter here in Massachusetts in which I was involved on behalf of the American Civil Liberties Union involving a local Islamic group that had pursued a cemetery in one of our central Massachusetts towns and ran into opposition in the form of flyers in anticipation of public meetings that they were bringing Sharia law to the town, um, really whipping up a frenzy which resulted in some very ugly public hearings where, you know, it was really questionable whether some of the things crossed the line in the context of simply a community wanting to establish a cemetery to bury their dead. And I, I believe that one fallout from this injection of fake news and inflammatory rhetoric coming from our president is to incite that type of behavior. One, one thing I was wondering, thinking about this show today, Howard, I, I know that one of the areas of your practice is... Uh, uh, libel law, and uh, you've uh, famously won some significant verdicts uh, here uh, in Massachusetts and elsewhere, including a $2.1 million verdict against the Boston Herald on, on behalf of a, a Massachusetts judge in a, in a libel case. Uh, you know, and, and of course, a core element of libel is that something was not true. So from the perspective of a libel, does, does anything that President Trump is saying about the press ring true to you? <laughs> I, I, I'm as I am as fearful as everybody else about what President Trump is saying. Um, I have to say, when we start talking about news that is called false news or alternative facts or fake news, the consequences for that, if you stop and think about it, for libel actions are really very profound. We have a president that's just accused the former president of criminal activity in ordering his phones tapped without apparently a shred of evidence. And you know, what, what does that mean in terms of 
exposure for defamation from a guy who says that he really wants to loosen the reins on libel actions and who himself apparently has a history of using libel lawsuits to chill the actions and speech of others. I note that before he was elected, then-candidate Trump announced, I think it was uh, while he was addressing a crowd at Gettysburg, although I may have that wrong, that all of the women who dared to come forward to say that he had uh, molested them in one form or another would be on the receiving end of a libel suit. I think, according to the president's rhetoric, we are in uncharted territory. Of course, I have great confidence in our legal system to maintain the, the rules and standards that we've all dealt with for a long time now. What realistically is legal help even available for what President Trump says? I mean, what, what is the remedy? Is there one other than waiting for four years? <laughs> I think the remedy is to make sure that all of the very fine media outlets that are devoting tremendous resources to investigate and correct the misstatements and untrue statements of the president, that they, we make sure that they have access to the press room, that they're not excluded because of their viewpoint or the content of their publications, which would be impermissible, and that they continue to report. And uh, hopefully that will result in cabining the president in in some fashion. I say it only half seriously, but I think President Obama would have a pretty good libel suit against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, I defend libel cases a lot, and most of my clients are news organizations and come from a, a culture that I've worked in for you know, three decades now, where news organizations don't bring libel lawsuits, um, even when, when they have concerns that, you know, they're being maligned, because they don't want to make bad law. They don't want to suggest that the courts should be the arbiters. There's you know, always been a great belief that the answer to false speech is more speech. But, you know, I think things have changed. I think the Internet has changed um, how information is distributed. And uh, even Floyd Abrams, who you quoted at the outset, who probably the, the dean of the First Amendment bar in the United States, suggested back in uh, November in that same speech that, you know, maybe some journalists needed to think about becoming libel plaintiffs when the president's accusing them of making things up or or mis, uh, misrepresenting information. I agree with Howard. I, I think uh, President Obama would have a pretty good libel lawsuit. Even as the ultimate public official, it's probably that rarest of rare instances yeah. where someone's yeah, I mean, been the, accused of a crime with no basis, apparently. Well, it seems like it, that would be libel per se, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, the, the real issue is, can you overcome the First Amendment defense to a libel claim? Because Back uh, you know, in the 1964 case of New York Times versus Sullivan, Supreme Court said even false speech, when, when you get something wrong uh, and you're talking about a public figure on matters of public concern, there has to be some breathing room. So you don't have a claim, even if it's wrong, unless you can prove that the person who said it knew it was wrong or had serious doubts or, or acted so recklessly with the truth as to have a basis for a claim. But I think even in, in this context, with a public figure or a public official like Barack Obama, if, if someone just makes up a fact and puts it out there on the basis of no credible evidence, uh, something that's clearly defamatory, it, it would be uh, an, interesting, an interesting lawsuit. 
Last night, watching, watching CBS News, Scott Pelley asked a, a question of Leon Panetta, is it, is it time to begin questioning our president's rationality? Uh, I thought that was a pretty striking moment when the anchor of the CBS News would ask a question like that. But one of the things that President Trump has said is that he does want to open up the libel laws so that, quote, so that when they write purposely negative and horrible and false articles, we can sue them and win lots of money. How far could President Trump go in revising the libel laws, or are they pretty solidly written in uh, uh, Supreme Court precedent at this point? I would love to hear Craig or Howard talk about that since they brought libel lawsuits, because as someone who's defended libel lawsuits, I think it's just another example of the president talking about things he really doesn't know anything about, that you know, the major constraints on libel plaintiffs these days are the First Amendment restrictions, which the president can't change. Howard, what are your, what's your thought on that? So... Um, let me let me say, as a lawyer who works mostly but not completely on the plaintiff side of these cases, I agree with David that the bedrock principles of the First Amendment from New York Times for Sullivan and beyond are very clear, and frankly, even as a plaintiff's lawyer, very appropriate. I've represented judges and other public officials in libel cases, and they are held to a high bar of having to prove actual malice by clear and convincing evidence, and they should be. And I think that the First Amendment should provide that protection because people should have the right to criticize, comment on, and question public officials. Having said all of that, I don't think that President Trump has an understanding at all of the law when he says that it would be great to be able to bring lawsuits and prove that people had no basis for writing what they wrote and did it intentionally, et cetera, by coincidence, that is somewhat the standard already when it comes to public figures and public officials. Again, you have to prove that someone, either with a knowing or reckless disregard for the truth, published something or, or outright fabricated. But he better be very careful what he wishes for, because based upon what I think we've all seen, the individual who, in the most high-profile way possible, using the bully pulpit of the presidency of the United States, who has libeled someone, at least based on what we currently know, seems to be him. We need to take a uh, short break. Before we continue with the show, we will hear a few words from our sponsors, and we will be right back. Please stay with us. Documents are the currency of business. They represent you in every business interaction. Executives need to know what changes have occurred in documents, what metadata risks exist, and how to encrypt, share, and collaborate securely. Patera simplifies the document creation and collaboration process to protect you from risk and loss of reputation. Patera offers better solutions for document lifecycle management so you can focus on doing what really matters www.latera.com Clio is an invaluable software solution for law firms of all sizes, handling all the demands of your growing practice from a single cloud-based platform. Clio enhances your firm with features such as matter and document management, time tracking, and even billing. Clio is an effortless tool that helps lawyers focus on what they do best, practice law. Learn more at clio.com, that's C-L-I-O, 
www.lawyertolawyer.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is attorney David A. Schultz, a senior research scholar at the Law and Floyd Abrams Clinical Lecturer at in Law at the Yale Law School and co-director of the Media Freedom and Information Access Clinic, as well as attorney Howard Cooper, founding partner of Todd and Weld LLP, and my co-host, Bob Ambrosi. We've been discussing freedom of the press under a Trump presidency and and how the Constitution plays a role in it. Howard, is the Constitution going to give us any comfort in trying to corral President Trump's wild statements? I guess, like, what else are you going to call it? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, I think that, that the law and the rule of law, including the Constitution, and especially the Constitution, is all of our best hope for corralling in not just his actions, but some of this more outrageous speech. Um, I think it's highly unlikely that anybody would actually file a, a libel lawsuit against the president, but we're in such uncharted territory. I suppose that anything is possible. And I say that because what's coming out of his mouth is so unpredictable and appears to be so unsupported that sooner or later, he really is going to hurt somebody. You know, I, I think that President Obama, uh, with his profile, might be hard-pressed to say that he's been damaged uh, by anything that's said by President Trump. But at some point, um, he's going to be going after private citizens with who he disagrees, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this doesn't happen. And he leaves himself exposed if he acts in the same manner and, and publishes the same type of statements without any basis for them. Other than libel, in what ways could a President Trump go after the news media legally, David, that, that they might need to be concerned about? I mean, one, one piece of speculation I've seen is that perhaps a Trump administration would consider prosecuting journalists under the Espionage Act, something that was done once, I think, against a news media organization back in 1942. Is something is something like that realistic, or are there other, you know, legal avenues that President Trump might pursue against the news media that could curtail their, uh, you know, freedom of reporting on him? Sure. The, the, well, there's certain things he could do, and and that would be very problematic, including potentially bringing Espionage Act claims. Uh, just to correct you, uh, the, no press has ever been prosecuted under the Espionage Act. There was a grand jury investigation that started during World War II that was shut down very quickly by the uh, Roosevelt administration because their concern was that proceeding with a, some sort of a claim would be more damaging in terms of what it would reveal than just... Uh, holding their, their fire. So there's never been a, a news organization or a reporter charged with a violation of the Espionage Act, but it's a real threat. The, the law is very antiquated. Uh, it was passed originally during World War I. It goes back to 1917, and it has a very vague and ambiguous prohibition against anyone who has unauthorized access of national security information from disseminating it uh, to anyone knowing that it uh, reasonably knowing that it could be uh, used against the United States uh, for, or for the benefit of a foreign country. So it's very vague. And I think certainly organizations like WikiLeaks or others who are getting classified information and releasing it uh, in theory could be prosecuted, as could, you know, Scott Shane at The New York Times or or anyone else who who reports information that's classified. I think for the last, you know, since 1917, almost a century, 
no reporter has ever been prosecuted because presidents and, and uh, administrations understand the significant First Amendment concerns that creates. And I think if uh, the Trump administration were to try that, there would be First Amendment defenses that, that could be brought, um, depending on, on the facts and how the information was obtained. But it's one way he could try to go on the offensive and, um, you know, chill uh, reporters from reporting on national security uh, matters. What's the relationship or what's the legal framework around President Trump and his spokespeople excluding media from certain press events? Is there a right to do that? Does the media have a right to be there? What are the constitutional outlines that we need to think about in the framework of what happened? Yeah, I, I do think that's probably a, you know more of an immediate concern than, than an Espionage Act prosecution is the way they've tried to kick out reporters who, uh, who they don't like. Candidate Trump did it repeatedly during the campaign. He would hold press events in public places and exclude, exclude reporters from BuzzFeed or the New York Times or whatever entity he was upset with at the moment. As president, um, there are a great deal, many more legal restrictions on his ability to do that. So, for example, no one has a constitutional right to a press pass, but once a reporter is becomes a credentialed White House reporter and has a press pass, the president is not permitted just to exclude them because they don't like their coverage. Uh, that issue was was litigated during the Nixon administration when he tried to to withdraw the credentials of a reporter for the Nation magazine, and the, the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia said very clearly that that uh, to do so raised First Amendment concerns. If he was doing it in retaliation for reporting, that would be a serious constitutional problem, and that there also were due process rights that would come into play if they tried to uh, remove a reporter's credentials. But even short of that, the, you know, the press briefing room, I would suggest, uh, is a public forum for purposes of the reporters who are credentialed to be there. It's historically been made available to them to ask questions of the press secretary. And if they were to exclude reporters who were credentialed from a press briefing in the press room, I think there would be a, a definitely a First Amendment uh, claim that could be brought to prevent them from doing that if the reason for doing that, again, was that they don't like the reporting. So I think there are legal restrictions on what the president can do, but he's certainly been showing every um, willingness to test those and to um, push the boundaries in his effort to control the message that reporters are putting out and to chill the speech of certain news organizations. It's quite, quite disturbing. Well, we're just about at the end of our program, and I do want to give each of you time to uh, give your closing thoughts before we wrap up the show. And uh, in the course of doing that, if you'd also like to tell our, our listeners how they can follow up with you, uh, we'd appreciate that as well. So, uh, Howard Cooper, uh, why don't we start with you? Sure. Thanks, Bob. Well, I'm a partner here in Boston at Todd & Weld. I can be reached via email at hcooper at toddweld, T-O-D-D-W-E-L-D.com. I'm always glad to talk with anybody about First Amendment issues, First Amendment matters. My closing thoughts are consistent with what I said with my opening comment. I think we're in uncharted territory. I think that there are reasonable tools for the president to use in a neutral way if he wants to accomplish legitimate ends. Um, but when you start attacking journalists because of what they publish, excluding them from uh, the press room based upon 
what is clearly viewpoint discrimination uh, or acting in some other arbitrary way, he is going to run into problems. God knows it would be a lot worse if he does the same thing by selecting out particular journalists to try to initiate a grand jury proceeding against. It's just outright violative of the First Amendment in an effort to chill speech that he doesn't like. I hope we're not headed there, but I fear we are. Thank you very much, Howard. And uh, David Schultz, your closing thoughts. Sure. You know, I would echo a lot of what Howard just said. And and maybe to to put one other issue on the table, I think beyond just the potential for criminal prosecutions or access fights with reporters, yanking of credentials, one really significant concern is the way that this administration from day one has started withdrawing information from the public on websites, uh, taking down climate change information and various things like that. The clinic that I run at Yale Law School, the Media Freedom and Information Access Clinic, exists to provide pro bono services to people who want to bring litigation to compel the government to release information or to promote government accountability. You can find more about the clinic online at MFIA Clinic uh, if you do a Google search, uh, or you can follow me on um, Twitter. I'm LSKSDave. Well, thank you very much. Uh, We've been talking today with David A. Schultz, partner at uh, the firm Levine, Sullivan, Koch, and Schultz in New York, and uh, a senior research scholar in law and Floyd Abrams, clinical lecturer in law at Yale Law School, and also with Howard Cooper, partner at Todd and Weld in Boston. Thanks to both of you for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Craig. You're welcome. And Bob, uh, just before we close, we sometimes will comment ourselves on what the situation is that is in being discussed in the podcast. And certainly you have expert qualifications to give us a short little uh, quickie on what you thought. <laughs> well, you know, again, I it just I mentioned during the show, I think how, how struck I was last night watching a network news anchor uh, in a way, uh, indirectly perhaps, question the rationality of the sitting president of the United States. I'm deeply concerned in the same way our guests express concerns. And I do have faith that the First Amendment and the legal system uh, will persevere uh, over the situation we're seeing right now. So how about you, Craig? Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. And I completely agree with everything that's been said so far on the podcast. I note uniformly the discussion that I've had with other First Amendment lawyers and lawyers in general is that this type of behavior has been condemned. And I have not been able to find anyone, perhaps that person exists on Trump's staff, but I've not been able to find an attorney to give me a rational explanation or support the current situation. Yeah. That about does it for this week's show. Uh, On behalf of everybody at the Legal Talk Network, thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.